0: So, Patty, I really enjoyed our interview today with Stephen Morris. Uh, wow, what a just a fantastic, just a delightful person! A fantastic delightful. interview from somebody that's like on the front lines building a 1099 sales team.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think it's really great that we had Stephen because we've talked a lot in the past about building a W two sales force. Yes, yes. And, and sort of like the how that benefit, you know, how that's more beneficial. But I think Stephen really gets to the nut of. Of, of working with a 10 how how do, to effectively work with a 1099. 1099
0: yeah i think there's so many benefits of each model and uh i think he, he did a fantastic job of, of really describing what's necessary to make it work right. um then questions from the field um i really dive into one of these key questions for software companies as far as should they do 1099 team w2 team ISO distribution, strategic partners, like what should they do? And I talk about that. And then tell us about the insiders today.
1: Uh, we give an update on FedNow, the real-time payment network coming out of the Fed. Um, and I think people are going to be really interested. And in, in James and I had a very interesting discussion about that. So stay tuned for that. And of course, this episode is brought to you by ISOAMP. Uh, isoamp.com. Visit it. See what you think.
2: Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast.
0: Hey, everybody. We are here today with Stephen Morris, who is the SVP of Partner Relations at Bright Payment Solutions. How are you doing today, Stephen?
3: I'm doing fantastic, man. Thanks for having me aboard.
0: Yeah, it's uh, long, long overdue. Uh, yes. I always enjoy uh, Stephen's content and contributions to the various Facebook groups and LinkedIn, et cetera. And I thought uh, we got to get you on the podcast. So we're going to talk about building a 1099 team, obviously a very yes. popular approach, Uh, in the industry and we're going to dive into that but before we do we got to hear your story i always love this part so how did you get into this ridiculous industry like what happened and then uh, tell us about your journey to bright
3: okay um like i said this is a safe this is a safe space right right yeah (laughs) um i i i will be honest with you i've been in the industry now 23 years um i got in when i was 23 i just graduated from college and um Got a girl pregnant and I needed a job. You and need to make um, some money. It, it was it was um it was tough because um I, I came from a very uh, religious background. My mother was super Christian and um you know I had to tell her a week after I graduated from college that um I had a baby Ooh. on the way. And so I went to a job fair. I'll never forget this. I went to a job fair with my college roommate, and um he wanted to get into bank card processing back then that was when we had the knuckle busters and you put the card on and right. you ran the image and you know you got your money days later there was no such thing as next day funding right and um he wanted the job really bad and then the guy who was interviewing him it was a small processor by the name of Zenex merchant services uh out of Cedarhurst, long island and um the guy saw me work in the room you know i was just trying to be my natural self and Uh, you know, just introducing myself to find out who's who. And he said, I want to hire this guy. And I said, well, no, you want my friend, Tony. He goes, no, I want to talk to you because he says, you've talked to everybody in here. And he says, I think that that's going to carry you a long way. So I got the job. Uh, I was a telemarketer. I was a telemarketer. And this was before the internet. So before Google and AOL, this is when you had the CD for AOL and you had to put in your CD-ROM right, and right. um, you had the, 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 the noise that you had to wait until you got your connection on your computer. And we were calling out of the phone book. I was in New York City and we would pick a different industry every day. We'd call every dry cleaners, every obstetrician, every, um, wow. you know, You were every selling, selling
0: knucklebusters over the phone in New York over City. Over the
3: phone. Yeah. In so, New York City. That is, in that, New is York, some, yeah, that is the, real the, the phone book was about there. this thick, <laughs> right? And so, um, I hated my job, but I couldn't quit because I I had a baby on the way, and I had to right. make it right. work. And so, um, by month number four, I was the top telemarketer in the company, and I knew that there was money to be made because you see all the salespeople they're they're driving around in the the best cars and. I had never known what a Maserati was until I was, you know, started working at this company. And um I one day they said, hey, do you want to go out in the field? And that was the one thing that changed my life. I went out in the field, I came back and I told them, I said, I never want to get on the phones again. I want to go out <laughs> in the field and, and see yeah. people. My yeah. days were never the same. And you know, you got to talk to people and learn about their business. So I I, I transitioned after month number four or five and went to outside sales. And I never looked back. And so by the time my son was born, my residuals were like $1,500 a month. I'll never forget my mother, who was a housekeeper. Uh, She had worked her way to get me through college. And like the first couple of months, he said, well, I didn't work this hard for you to make $200 a week. This is ridiculous. And by the time she saw that $1,500 check, because this was before direct deposit, she right. said, you keep that job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and, and it's grown ever since. Yeah. So um, I started out cutting my teeth. Um, I, I just, I, I thought the funny thing is, I thought anybody that was in like the business world, that's what you had to do. So I didn't know right. any better. I didn't right. know that, you know, you could quit. Right, right. Yeah, I figured that's what everybody did to make a living. And then it wasn't until um, I started seeing other people working in other industries. And I was like, you don't have to beg people for your business. Right. And they're like, no, it just, you know, we we do something completely different. So sales was kind of, I was thrust into it, but um, I don't look back and I don't regret it. 23 years yeah. later, I'll be 50 next year. Um, it, it's just amazing uh, what this industry has done. And here's the great part uh, about me getting that young lady pregnant. That was actually my first wife. Um, my son, who is 26, is now in the industry. I got in the industry because of him. And now he just started for merchant sales in Orlando.
0: Wow. That's fantastic. That's pretty cool. What a great story. He's going to be
3: super happy that I mentioned his name on this podcast. So (laughs) shout out to Mark Anthony Morris.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. uh, We hear a lot of stories on the podcast. That was a really good one. I got to tell you, that was pretty cool. So that was one
1: of the few we hear where somebody actually went out. We hear about somebody who went out because they wanted to get into card processing. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right? true. That
0: is that is an important distinction. Most people are like, I got tricked into it, or I or, accidentally... yeah, I just found this job It was really good. <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, oh, I saw it in the paper.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Right. So all right. So Stephen, let's let's do this. I want to let's fast forward that story a little bit and talk to okay. me about the first time that you brought on a ten ninety nine sales agent. Give me a little context of like when was that. What was that decision like and how did that work out? Tell me about that, that very first 1099 agent that you brought on.
3: Okay. Um, that was in 2013. So believe it or not, 10 years ago. Um, okay. Like I said, I had, you know, everybody says that they were successful in sales. This is sales. Sales is tough. It's hard. Right. Uh, you got to build credibility and integrity. And I think I think that was one of the things that merchants kind of saw with me uh, whenever I would go out. Because I, I I don't know everything about this business. I'll be honest. Uh, this is an ever-changing business and things are one way one day and then a different way the next. So I, I guess my honesty and, and just me being transparent, I was one of those guys that if I didn't know something, I tell you, I didn't know. So um, when it came time to recruiting, um, that actually was, was pretty interesting because a gentleman by the name of Michael DePinto, uh, he reached out to me. Now he had worked for Northern leasing systems. I was a big time lease guy. And um, he was my manager at the time for, he was like my RM for Northern. And him and Richie Hahn, uh, they reached out to me and they said, hey, have you ever thought about teaching other people to do what you do? And of course, I'm like, oh, I haven't. (laughs) You know, I didn't really think about um, teaching other people. And they said, well, it can really be advantageous. You find talent, you build them up and you teach them what they do and then you really can start developing a, a vast network. And so uh, Mike DePinto was actually my way of getting in on the recruiting side. And it was it was tough, just like with anything else. Like me, I love a challenge. Um, you know, if, if I know I can make it work, I don't care how many times I have to keep going back to the drawing board. I'm going to keep going back until I get it done. I'm just hard headed that way. But I think that's where success comes from is perseverance. And and if it doesn't work, you can always go back the next day and say, well, let me tweak it this way or let me turn it that way. I think that's one of the key features of people that are successful is they they never quit until they master it. And so I'm not saying I'm like a master of recruiting, but the one thing that I was able to take for merchant services sales, I was now able to transfer that energy over to someone who was hungry like me yeah. to kind of guide them in the right direction.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that that's really interesting. Let's start, if you don't mind, at sort of the beginning, okay? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I've been in this business a long time, and it seems to me that with 1099s, basically some companies will recruit anybody with a pulse.
3: Correct. <laughs>
1: right? Because they, uh, they have nothing to lose, or so they think. You know? That's okay. right. So what's your approach to identifying a good sales agent to join your team? Um, I
3: mean, for me, it's, it's really um... – I, it's character and integrity. Those are the two things that I look for because 1099, I can't control your motivation. I can only inspire you to want to go out there and, and meet merchants. You know, when you're 1099, there's no quota. Um, you actually can work for multiple processes. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, there are a number of people that I coach and work with that they have three or four partnerships. They don't work exclusively for Bright. So you have to remember that as a recruiter of 1099 age is that number one, they, they, in many cases, depending upon the product you sell or the product you don't sell, they may not be 100% devoted to you. But the one thing that I look for is just having integrity and being a man or a woman of honor. If you're not a truthful person, th- this industry is already grimy enough. And so I, I look for integrity first. I, I can motivate and inspire all day. But if I can't trust you, we can't work together. So I, I'm not one of those guys that oh well just bring me your brother and bring me your sister and you know a lot of ISOs um, they they want to uh, bring aboard like you said anybody anybody with a pulse and the reason why is because they're expecting you to exasperate all of your immediate connections and then after like month number three or four they're expecting you to quit and so when you quit they keep your residuals and and I ju- I just I'm not that guy I I, I just learned. Over time, that I may not be the best solution for everyone. Uh, there are a lot of companies out there that, that you know, they just want mids and want you to do 2000. And, you know, they're just trying to build as much in margin and as much in mids as possible. But overall, I just want the right people. If I can help a handful of people, uh, you know, get to a certain level, then eventually they'll be on their own. And then I feel great at night because this business is is very rewarding. Um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, you could buy a Porsche or you could buy a Lamborghini. That's that's not important to me. I, I want you to get out of debt. You know, I, I want you to be able to uh, take a vacation that you may not have ever taken before and then come back a month later and have a residual waiting on you. That That's my, my pride and joy. Because at the end of the day, we can't take any of this with us. You know, I can't take money into the grave. So if I can pour into another human being and teach them how to operate the greatest business that I think has ever been, then then that's where I start. So to answer your question, I just need you to be honest and have integrity and um, be willing to make mistakes because you are. I promise you, you are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. That's great advice. Mm-hmm. What about once you find an agent that you want to bring on board? You know, what sort of interaction or qualification do you do Before bringing them on, well,
3: you know, we of course we do a background check. Um, You know, that's that's key. You know, you you want to make sure that you know they're not doing any white collar crime and right (laughs) anything illegal (laughs) with credit card numbers. So um, we we do a background check Um, now. You know, I I talk to a lot of people uh, every day, and um, everyone tells you that they are the LeBron James of merchant services. You know, they're the next phenomena to come out, and um, I, I look to make sure that you're gonna honor your word. That That's the one thing that we get away from. Basic, simple practices that our mothers and fathers taught us is honor your word and and, and be a man a woman of integrity. So once I kind of talk to you for a while, I mean, it, it's a relationship. It's not something that, you know, I'm just gonna talk to you once, I'm gonna send you an agent agreement, and then you're never gonna hear from me again. No, it's it's a walk through the park. We're gonna date for a little while, because I want to see what you do, how you respond, and um, and if you are a man or a woman of your word. I mean, there's gonna be a lot of pressure in merchant services. You know, Patty, you know James. Um, things don't always go right. We're technology, we're fintech, and we deal with people. And those are the two things that are always gonna kind of mess up from time to time. But um, I'm looking to see stickability, I'm looking to see durability and being coachable and what and once i get that then i kind of know if we're we're going to work together i've i've had to walk away from a couple of agents but um yeah. at the end of the day 1099 that's the good thing about it is that even if you signed up one deal and you left us we're going to pay you on that one deal as long as they're processing so mm-hmm. um you know i'm looking for just really character versus uh knowing the business if if they have sales experience that's always good too you know you definitely want to know that they can handle themselves when it comes to talking to business owners. Um, but overall, it's, 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 um it's integrity, it's coachability and it's durability.
0: Hmm. You know, a couple of things I, I found really interesting that I would love to follow up on Steven. Um, one of them I found really interesting is your motivation for what you do, because mm-hmm. um, this gets lost on so many people that I talk to, especially individual agents who become successful. And they right. say, I want to start bringing on 1099 agents. And my first question to them is why?
3: Right. And what you gotta I love people,
0: you, you do because what I find is you, you generally have three motivations, right? To do this, two of them never work. Only one of them does. The two that don't work are I'm tired of prospecting. That one, right? That's right. Like basically, I'm done. So I'm going to bring on some independent people and I'm going to assume that they're going to do work. my job. Yeah. And I'm going to let them do my job. Uh, hello. You're about to bring on people that have no idea what they're doing. And you think your job's about to get easier? no that's you think you right. don't need to go out in the field anymore no yeah. like you're you're yeah. bringing on people that don't know what they're doing like you know so that's number one and number two like you just mentioned was money right and they think yeah i'm gonna make so much more money with these 1099s well actually you're gonna make a small percentage of what right. you're making before on well, people that can't big. sell nearly as well as you can so right. um, actually no it does take quite a while now eventually like it, it's a, definitely a long-term you know play like it mm-hmm. does pay off big time. And there is something, I, I know you've, you've experienced this. I remember when I got my first $10,000 residual check from uh, my 1099 channel. Right. Right. I'd been recruiting for, it took me a while to get there. I initially, it was like from the YouTube videos and all that, you know, and it was slow going. But back, oh, when yeah. was, back when I was doing it, man, I mean, it probably took me, it was at least 18 months, I bet, really. Um, okay. Before I got 10,000 from the, the 1099s, because I had this like referral relationship, you know, with the big processor. But when I right. got that first 10 grand where I was like, i like I'm done. I don't even know any of these merchants. This is fantastic. Like this is unbelievable. Like none of these merchants would ever call me. I can go on vacation and not work. Like I don't even know these people. This is fantastic. That it is a great thing, but at the same time, the truth is, if I would have put the same amount of time and effort that I took to build that ten thousand into selling merchant services, I would have made thirty thousand a month extra.
3: Correct. 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 Here's the here's the thing that I want to add is that yeah, um, we we all. Well, I I come from, you know, there's a great debate between who's the better basketball player, LeBron James or Michael Jordan. I'm a Michael Jordan guy. I've I've watched him over the years. There's only a
0: debate about this, but anyway. There is no debate. (laughs) I'm from Chicago, so, you know, obviously.
3: (laughs) But here's the thing. Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player to ever play the game, but he's a horrible GM. He's a a horrible owner. Right. So what does that mean? That means that although you know how to sell, Although you know how to talk to merchants, can you teach that to right. somebody else? And so just because you're a great player, that doesn't make you a great coach. And that's what yeah. I, I've i learned over the instance. I mean, I, I was I think I was a decent salesperson. You know, I'm not going to say I was the greatest salesperson. I did well. I was able to, you know, take care of my family and pay my bills and have some right. money left in the bank afterwards. But it took me a while to master people, people I mean, the, the great thing about being a recruiter is that you deal with people. The bad thing about being a recruiter is you deal with people, <laughs> right, <laughs> right? Right. And right. so you're dealing with their issues. I, I've become a life coach, a motivational right. speaker. Right. Uh, I, I remember one guy; uh, he would call me religiously, and this is where you had to learn time management. Right. Um, he would call me religiously and maybe do like one deal every three months, and I was like, "Oh, you know, you're trying not to." You know, try not to push him to the side because he's excited, but you you gotta value mm-hmm. your time as well. But to make yeah. a long story short, um, he ended up becoming a great salesperson because he needed somebody to kind of help him in the areas where he suffered. And I'll never forget one of our final conversations before he really before it really clicked. I told him, I said, Man, you talk too much. I said, You do more talking to me than you do to the merchants. Go right. out there and change your life and inspire. Yourself to 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 achieve yeah. greatness. You, yeah. You're not going to know the answer to every question right then and there. And if you have to say you don't know, say you don't know. But talking to me more than you're talking to your to your merchant is right. not going to help your pockets. And now the dudes like making like thirty thousand a month. So right. it took a little tough love, but right. some people have it, some people don't. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and I think I think again going back to that motivation, it comes through so clearly for in, in you know in your voice and, and you know your interaction here is that you have this passion to help people. You have this passion to see other people succeed. And when that's your primary motivation, you can build a really big team and you can make a lot of money long-term. But right. but, but it's not about, you know, the money is a byproduct. The motivation has to be, I want to, you know, I'm doing this for the emails, for the phone calls, for the text messages I get of people that right. say, you know, I literally got a text last night from a rep who said, I can't remember what it was, but I, was I was asking something, some email week's not about content. Anyway, he emailed me and just said, man, if you ever need anything from me, let me know. I make 20,000 a month because I watched your videos. I got started in the industry. I've never even talked to this guy. I don't even know who he is. And he's like, that is probably changed my family's life.
3: You know what I mean? That's the best feeling in the world, man. No amount of money can can really affect that. And and just to hear somebody tell you that you changed their life on a great scale. We live in a world, man, where Things are horrible, man. People are suffering. Eggs are like what $20 a, a, a dozen <laughs> know, now?
1: crazy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> seriously.
3: Yeah. So so to be able to get a text message like that or a call where somebody can say, Hey James, hey Patty, hey Steven, you guys changed my life. That that yeah, doesn't happen every day. That, and
0: that's that's what it's all about, right? So all right, yes, we gotta we gotta got get this moving. Here we go. So I, I got a couple right, of questions. I want to get through. No, we're doing this. I just love this conversation. It's so fun. So, okay we're back on, on track here. So you bring an agent on board. You're like, all right, this is the, this is the agent. We're going to bring them on board. So then you got to get them to do their first deal. Yes. Talk about that. What, what happens between signing the agreement, the agent agreement to like getting a first deal? How do you make that happen? Or what do you do to to help
3: facilitate that? I I tell every agent, if I don't help you get 10 deals within your first 90 days, I've failed you. Mm,
0: So you set that 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 expectation.
3: That's the expectation from, from the moment they're approved. That's my first, and they all can tell you this if they watch this podcast. I have 90 days to get you 10 accounts. Right. And if I don't do that, then I failed you. And so we put a timeline. Let's put we we have to put a deadline on our success yeah. and we have to set benchmarks. If we're just going to go at this all willy-nilly and wish that it happens, we're going to fail every day. So I tell them up front what the timeline is. And then we have to develop a game plan. So number one, it's it's a mixture of, of two things. Um, we have to teach you the business. And then we also have to teach you how to use your immediate contact sphere to get in front of people. you be amazed at how many people want to do this business, but they have no connection to the business community. They don't know about B&I. They don't know about right. the Chamber of Commerce. Like they They're just trying to figure this out. And they got they they heard about it because their friend told them or what have you. Right. So it, it's it's a battle of teaching the business. By the way, we use ISO amp. <laughs> hey, so, that was my shout so out. We, so you. we do use your platform, but, <laughs> but it's a great platform. You've developed a target vertical of teaching people this business the right way, and so they learn the business. But then you also have to learn how to sell. So I give them deadlines. I give them benchmarks, and then if they don't hit that benchmark. By day number 90, then I have to push them to the side and kind of love them from afar because I, I don't <laughs> want to waste your time and I don't want to waste my time. Right. So I, sure. I, I, I set those guidelines because if success is in front of you and people have already reached levels that you're trying to get to, why wouldn't you listen to them? So right. you, you got to put a sense of urgency because what will happen mm-hmm. is life gets in the way. You're yep. going to get distracted and you're going to quit. I mean, there's there's not a high retention on the 1099 side. There is not yeah. a, I, I yeah. could probably count probably about a thousand people. I know that at one point could say, oh yeah, I tried to do that merchant services thing. Right. It didn't work for me. I'm still surprised you're doing it, Steven. And the reason why I'm still doing it, I just, I didn't quit. I didn't give up.
0: Right. right. Exactly. Okay. So now you already kind of touched on this next one, but I'm kind of curious to hear a little more context to this. So for me, when I was building my team, this is, you know, I guess, Wow, it's been like seven years. I think it's like seven years since I was actively so building a team. I know I'm getting old, man. I'm getting really old, almost 40. Anyway, so when I was doing that, for me, it was one, three, and 10. In other words, I want to help okay. the agent get their first deal. Then I want to help the agent get to their third deal. Usually the first deal was their uncle or their aunt or whatever, right? I want to get them to three right. deals. Then I want to get them to 10 deals. And I felt like once they got to deal 10, I was like, I got something. They want which, you right they're not you know it's like they're 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 in you know what I mean I, they're right. so I you know you mentioned the number ten as well what are your thoughts on kind of these metrics and do you do anything different you know how what's that progression like to get them from one three ten or, or whatever your metrics are does it change yeah. over that well honestly
3: we and and, and I, I I actually like that metric that you uh, illustrated because I'm assuming you said what, seven years ago? So that was back yeah. before dual pricing and all this stuff. Yeah. Now it's a little different. Yeah. You, you can sign up merchants a lot faster if you're going to do dual pricing right. that will guarantee them a higher rate of return and residuals. Yeah. So my my logic is 110, 3000 What does that mean? The oh. first deal, you want to make sure they get that on. By the time they get to ten deals, they should know how to do paperwork correctly. Whether you right. have an electronic app or whether you have a paper app, however your your process or your protocol is, they should already know that. Like if I work at McDonald's, let's say I went to work at McDonald's and I never knew how to make Big Macs. Well, the first Big Mac I may mess up. I may leave off the pickles or the cheese or the lettuce. by By my tenth or fifteenth Big Mac, if I I should know how to make it with my eyes closed. Right. So that's the same way with merchant services. By your tenth. Or maybe your 15th application, you should already kind of have a system of, you know, what's your favorite terminal? What's your favorite, your go-to platform? By that point, you probably have maybe a lot of the same type of merchant. You may have, like my first 50 accounts were all dentists. Mm -hmm. And that was because I I met one dentist, asked for referrals. That's another thing that people need to take from this thing is you have to ask for referrals. If you don't ask for referrals, you're killing yourself. Yeah. um, take that as a little side note. If you don't remember anything else, remember that. So, um, I train my guys to always ask for referrals because if the merchant signed with you, he probably knows other people in that same vertical that will sign with you as well. So if you get in the same tradition and habit of signing up the paperwork the right way, make sure that it goes through a smooth underwriting process. By the time you get to deal number 10 or 15, you're in the $3,000 part is the money. Once I get you to three thousand dollars a month in residuals, hmm. we we don't need to talk as much. We we just see each other at the co- at the conferences and at the shows. And now you just got to find a way to make that three thousand dollar residual into seventy five hundred in less time. Right, and now that's on you. So right. that's that's where I'm at. So um, I you know, that. by that point, you really right. get to see because once you get to three thousand a month, um, that's a real. I mean, I don't care what kind of job you have, you know, that's a nice chunk of change that you're like, okay, I can, I can grow this even bigger. How can I get to 10,000? And then now that's where the relationship manager will come in and they kind of make it easier for me because now I have a team that's going to help a guy that's already done it, reached a certain benchmark, and then he just wants to go to the next level. Right.
0: Right. And then, then as long as their ceiling's not too low, and they actually right. have actually have ambition because you, you can't go, you can't help, you can't help somebody break through their own ceiling. I, like to me, Correct. I, you know, I'll talk to them and, you know, I had a lot of agents I talked to and they're, they're, I'm like, they're like, yeah, I don't really do much in the business anymore because I make 7,500 a month. And I'm like, really? That, That's it. That, that was your, that was your goal. Like, are you kidding? If I made $7,500 a month, I, my house would foreclose. What are you talking about? Exactly. Like, Come on, but like, but, let's,
3: but like, see that's the that's the motivation. That's the thing you can't control. And so I, I tell people, I, I'm following your dreams. Your dreams may not be right. my what's, dreams. What's your version of success, right? Yeah. yeah. So 7500. That, that is tough,
0: though, right? Like sometimes it's kind of tough to say, like, are you sure that's your version? You don't know yeah, you don't have a a charity your pat. Like, isn't there something you want to do here? Like anyway. Yeah. I, Whole other topic. He, right? he doesn't have, whoever that
3: guy is, I promise you, he doesn't have a wife and kids. Yeah, right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, your, your wife will help you lift that ceiling very quickly, oh, yeah. right? So Yeah, he's probably right.
3: got like seven roommates.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. So last question uh, is, and this is an interesting one, because I think it really dovetails with everything we've just talked about. So we're talking about, oh, wow, we got the streamlined system. We're going to get you one to three to 10 to 3,000 residual, and you're going to know what you're doing. But we got a layer on top of that. Wait a second. Integrated okay. payments, right? Point mm-hmm. of sale systems, virtual terminals. It's not like, you know, when I was building uh, my team seven years ago, we were uh, really starting to get into that, but it was mostly terminals. Now mm-hmm. it's like, wait a second. And, and one of the reasons I really wanted to ask you this question is because I happen to know, you know, Dave Humphrey is a good friend of mine. You know, you guys do this. like You're You know, right? Like, you guys do this really well. I mean, you actually do sell a lot of smart terminals, point of sale systems, et cetera, yeah. How does all this fit in, especially with this newer to 99? Are You kind of encouraging them to stay simple initially, or what? Like, what's what's the process? How do you get them into selling more integrated payments? You know,
3: that is actually a great question. Um, the reason why I came to Bright, and and I'll say this: I know you guys are an expert. I'm going to tell you why. Yeah. Um. I I I was recruiting for another company. They're no longer in existence. They actually sold during the pandemic, and they were just a terminal shop. They didn't really master. Right. POS they didn't master right. uh, certain certain products and here's the problem with that okay let's say James you're my merchant right mm-hmm. and I sell you a POS system where I'm I as the processor I'm interested in collecting the revenue on your processing right but I sell you a POS system let's say you're a restaurant right mm-hmm. and I sell you this POS system and I'm like hey this is the greatest POS and you say hey all right Steven, I'm assigned for it and we install the POS. Let's say over the weekend, that point of sale system crashes on you, or you're having all these problems on your busiest days. You're going to call me up. And if all I'm in, in, investing in is the processing, my response is going to be, you have to call the POS company right. for tech support, right? Right. Because all I can do is control your rates and your right. matches and and, right. th- and things like that. And so what ends up happening is on Monday morning, when the weekend's over, you're going to call me up and you're going to say, Stephen, come pick up this piece of what we all know the other word of POS system stands for <laughs> come pick up this piece of sh whatever and so what the reason why I came to bright is because we kind of took the we kind of took the stance that we're not going to sell any product that we cannot support in house right mm. that is super important because if you can't support the product in house on level 1 or level 2 technical support the merchant's going to leave so right. absolutely what happens with with an agent You know, a lot of times these guys will go out and merchants are getting smart. Square has got a dominant uh, square toast. Um, A lot of companies are out there now really going towards point of sale versus a terminal because they want to know the analytics. They want to know if they're selling more chicken Parmesan than eggplant Parmesan, if their uh, employees are coming to work on time to manage their payroll. POS is is something that is going to only get better and greater as uh, the industry progresses. But here's the thing. How do you teach that to a new person? so it takes a lot of training it takes a lot of education because in some cases let's be honest we have google and these merchants are smarter than some of these agents on the street so if you don't know your product right. if your company cannot support the product they don't care about the rate 9 times out of 10 you know with right. dual pricing being as popular as it is now that's not even an argument anymore so it is a challenge but at the same token you know Who to pour into on the 1099 side? Because what will happen is, depending upon where they live, their demographic, their neighborhood, where they sell, it's probably already populated by Toast or Square or a certain vertical. They have to become astute enough to say, hey, if I'm going to be a part of this game and be a part or to be a player, I've got to master my craft. So you may come in only selling terminals. But as you grow, and this is the thing I love, there's so many different POS providers out there, so many different ISVs that you can work with. That you'll want to—it's it's almost like continuing education. Yeah. You, you're going to have to always be a student of the game in order for you to get better. So my point is, if you are a with a a, a processor, or you're 1099, and you feel, hey, you know, we only can sell terminals. You have to. You're gonna to have to really expand your mind into POS. You got great POS like hot sauce and level and you know, all these other ones that uh, right. are out there right now. And if your ISO is not in the POS market, they're gonna to have to. That's the reason why I left my initial processor. They didn't offer POS systems. Yeah, they were still yeah. selling Hypercom <clears throat> T7Ps until 2010. Yeah. So
0: yeah, that, gotta it's be- gotta be that transition. I love it. Stephen, this yep. has been such a fantastic conversation. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, for those who want to learn more about you, they want to learn more about Bright. Where would you send them to connect with you or learn more?
3: Call Dave Humphrey. No, I'm just.
2: Kidding.
3: <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, you can, you guys can give me a call. Um, it's uh, one thing, I'll give you my email because if you call me, I'm just gonna make my phone even more crazy. Um, Stephen M. S. T. E. V. E. N the letter M for my last name at Bright b r y t e p s dot com. Our website is bright dot com. And honestly, if you um guys are looking to um get some unbiased information, like I said, even though I recruit and I, I I help with sales for Bright, honestly, I'm a wealth of information and I don't I don't need to recruit everybody. I, I kind of know who's a good fit for us. But even if you just need just basic information, I kind of adopt the same way that you are James. it's a way for us to really help other people be successful and so i go in with a pure motive and um you tell me what's wrong and i'll say hey this is what you need to do with no financial gain no bias whatsoever because i believe that the good lord is going to bless me regardless if you do the right thing
0: love it awesome steven thank you so much for your time today really appreciate it and i wish you a fantastic uh, rest of the year so patty the sponsor of this podcast is ISOAMP, the leader in full service statement analysis. Um, we sent out an email uh, recently that w- got a lot of uh, interesting replies and stuff. So one thing people may not know about the platform is that we can do compliant surcharging. I saw and, that email, yes. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal right now because of the surcharge cap and some people that are kind of moving towards the compliant surcharging approach right now. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason that it's important is because it's actually really difficult to do a proposal for somebody on compliant, you want to do compliant surcharging because it's pretty rare to find somebody who's already on it. So if you're selling it, you're generally selling where you're converting somebody from interchange plus or from tiered pricing or flat rate or whatever, or, you know, dual pricing, whatever over to and surcharging. And it's tricky because with, with compliance surcharging, of course, you can't add the fee to debit signature debit or pin debit. And so how do you know what the margin is going to be? How do you know what they're going to pay?
1: Sure. What are their costs?
0: You know what I mean? Now, Uh, What our system does is we take all of the available data and we use that to try to determine this. So a lot of times we can do it really well because we have an interchange table and we literally pull the interchange table and pull out all the debit categories. And we say the debit categories are the ones where the merchant's going to have to pay the fee, right? The credit is where, right, where the the consumer's going to pay it. Um, Other times it's tiered pricing. We can try to pull it from the merchant activity table. So we're very good at trying to pull it. And if we can't pull it, we guess. And we're really good at guessing based on the business type and the average size. I would you great at guessing
1: because you've seen so many of these, We right? have
0: tens of thousands of statements, right? So we're able to take that data and we're, so no matter what the statement is, you can always convert it from anything to anything. Right. That's how our system is built. So if you want to check that out, head over to getisoamp.com, G-E-T-I-S-O-A-M-P.com, getisoamp.com, uh, click on free demo, and uh, we'd be happy to have my team do a demo for you and show you what we can do
2: this is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccSalesPro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccSalesPro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccSalesPro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard.
0: So, Patty, today I'm taking a little break from my uh, mini-series on overcoming objections because I want to talk about, um, you know, what I believe is one of the most important decisions today for uh, software companies, for technology companies. Um, I just am dealing with this so much, and it has so many far-reaching implications for the ISO world, the agent world, and, and everything like that. And here's the decision. The decision is are we processor agnostic or do we do our own in-house payments or do we offer both options? Mm, mm. And I just want to talk about it for a minute because there's several really important considerations here and I have my own kind of biases, but before I get to those, let's talk about what we're talking about. Like what is the real issue? What's the real question here? And the way I look at this Patty is there's these three layers that we have to think about. Okay. Layer number one is the merchant experience. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a software company, I am a software company. uh, You know, one of my software companies, somebody else's software company, if I'm trying to serve small business owners and I'm thinking about how am I going to handle payments? Well, if payments are a really important part of your experience and people need to sign up for a payment processing account to use your software, then them signing up should be really simple, really Mm -hmm. smooth, really easy for them to do that. From the online application, the underwriting process which should be instant nearly instant unless you're medium to high risk um the uh, deployment and implementation which should be almost entirely automated and instantaneous mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. um this is the this is the non-negotiable part of this discussion sure so whether you say we're going to become a payfac or we're going to use TILD for payfac services, or, you know, we are going to be a wholesale ISO or we are going to have strategic partners that are going to sell our technology, regardless of which of those understand that if you, if the merchant is not having this seamless, easy experience, you are not positioned for success because friction and complexity will always lose. hmm when they can be minimized with another option. So Mm -hmm. it's just, you have to remove friction and complexity. You have to. So the merchant experience has to be fantastic. Number one, Um, that's non-negotiable. Second, non-negotiable, the sales partner, sales professional, sales agent, the person who, who is selling your solution with the payment processing integrated into it, their experience has to be similarly free of friction and complexity. Mm -hmm. And, there are just a lot of agents who are frankly fed up, and I understand, I agree with them, fed up with the this idea of the processor, which integrates to the software company through the gateway. And two things tend to happen with this model, unless somebody does something about it, which I'll talk about in a second. <clears throat> two things happen. Number one, the signup is a nightmare. Right. It takes forever. The settings are wrong with the gateway. Something doesn't work. And number two, once that becomes apparent and there's an issue, all three companies point their fingers at each other. At each other. Yeah. And these agents are sick and tired of it. I know agents that are like, hey, I'm like, you know, this, I have this one ISO, this one processor and like, I love them and I love the company and that's where I do my deals. But when it comes to a point of sale system for this vertical, I go over here and I sell payment Mm -hmm. processing for this tech company. And when it comes to this other vertical, I go over here because they understand and they are just sick of it. It's like, why do they have to deal with all this friction and complexity? So the the important thing is this, when you're thinking about, okay, do we go third party? Do we get strategic partnerships? Do we become a payback? Stop everything and and understand there are two non-negotiables, the merchant experience, free of friction and complexity, and the salesperson's experience, free from friction and complexity. Those are non-negotiable. So with that in mind, what do you do how do you build this distribution channel several options right you can go w2 right mm-hmm. in house um the beauty of that whether it's in the field or on the phone is that of course you have total control also you're not paying out as much residual usually you're paying a salary plus maybe a 20% residual split so that's a really really good model and i think for a lot of software companies even if all you have is a pilot version of that like you literally are a big software company but you have like Three outside agents that are making right. sixty thousand a year salary plus plus twenty percent residual and plus a little upfront or whatever, it's worth it for two reasons. Number one, you may find out it's dynamite, and you might go, "What are we doing? We need to be investing in this, and we need to have fifty agents doing this, right?" Right, right. Um, right. You know, so there's that. But also the data you're going to get. You know, yeah, you're going right? to you're going to understand the real issues. You have control of these agents, and so having some W two agents. I think it's a good idea if you're a technology company, a software company. I think it's a great idea. Um, Then the question is, okay, well, what about 1099 agents, right? Well, again, 1099 agents, as well as I might add small ISOs are becoming increasingly annoyed with all of this friction and complexity. Odds are you can do the payment processing in-house and remove all of the friction and complexity and make it just a really good solution. And even if you have to match their current residual split, what do you care? You're going to make the same SaaS fees. You're going to make the same hardware fees that you would anyway. Right, right. Plus 10, 20, 30% of the processing profits. So going after the agent directly, uh, again, uh, as a technology company, I think that's a good option to have. It's definitely a good one to explore, right? Um. Mm-hmm. Third one is you want to go after big companies. You want to go after the big acquirers, the big um, ISOs the big, and say, I want to get distribution through them and they're going to want you to integrate with their payment processing, right? right. Well, that's fine and dandy. As long as you communicate to them and work with them on the fact that, sure, we're glad to partner with you to create a seamless experience for the merchant and the sales partner. If you're saying you want to integrate with us and then you want to just stop there and just hope it all works out and people know yeah. how to set it up, no thank no, you. No. But if we're going to work together and make a detailed document and training program on how to set up the particular gateway that you want them to use, what settings to use in that gateway. If you've got a really smooth online app, if you're going to create an onboarding, you know, an underwriting template so our deals get nearly auto-approved, like if you're saying you want to work with us to create a seamless experience for our merchants and for your sales partners, absolutely let's do it because that's another added revenue generation source. So, So my advice to software companies would be explore all three of these options. You have the W-2 agent, you have the 1099 agent, the small ISO, that's kind of option two. And then you have the large partnerships. Um, Explore all three. Uh, There's no law against doing all three. There's no reason you can't do all of them. Um, Maybe that's, you know, you may not have the bandwidth. You may not have the operational capabilities or the manpower to do all three. That's fine. Pick one. but, But think about all three of those. And as you think about the payment processing, keep in mind the constraint that we have to have a seamless, frictionless, You know experience no complexity in there for the merchant and the sales partner that is the non negotiable
1: great advice thanks james
2: this is the insiders report with patty murphy brought to you by the green sheet for nearly 40 years the green sheet has been the go-to source for news analysis and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals if you're not reading the green sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com.
1: Well, James, it's official. Uh, Fed now the widely anticipated real-time payments network that's being built by the Federal Reserve. Right. Will go live in July. Yeah, I saw that. Pretty exciting. Now this is a big deal. You know, a 24 by 7 by 365 payment network. You know, to put it in perspective, the current the Fed currently uh you know it operates the ach some wire network etc right. sure it it operates on something that i would say is close to what we used to call banker's hours yeah you know yes. nine to five eastern with lights out on holidays and weekends mm-hmm. right yep think of i i was i was writing this up for the green sheet recently and i i came up with this analogy think of the of fed now as venmo meets the ACH. Except there's no lag at all between the transfer request and the money going into the recipient's bank account. Everything's yep. in real time. Yep. You know yep. we have these Venmos and and uh, Zelle and so forth out there that appear to be real time from the users. You know from the recipient's perspective. Right. But most of those transactions, a lot of them, a lot of them are, are, are cleared through the ACH. But I've learned that RTP, which is another real time network, Right, right. Uh, also clears a lot of these. Now, RTP, as I said, is a real time network. It was built by the clearinghouse and it predates Fed now by about five years. Right. Now, while RTP is accessible by any bank or credit union, it's owned by a handful of the largest banks and a lot of regional community banks would rather not contribute to these banks' yep. revenues. Yeah. Now, the Fed is sometimes called the processor of last resort. It has electronic connections to 2,000 or 10,000 plus banks and credit unions that are covered by FDIC insurance. Yep. Uh, the correct connections that are already used uh, for ACH and wire transfer, as well as uh, central bank activities. Think uh ordering coin and currency or accessing the discount window. Sure. And also, these all these banks have master <laughs> accounts to support clearing through the Fed. Uh, when you use RTP, you have to, in your non-owner bank, you have to open a clearing account with one of those banks. So that's an extra step. Now, both FedNow and RTP are credit networks, and that's because neither bank, um, neither the bank owners nor the Fed want to deal with the potential potential risks that are created by instant real-time debit transactions. Hmm. The two networks also have transaction caps. The Fed's is 500,000, um, for Fed now, RTP won't handle real-time payments over a million dollars.
0: You mean as a single payment, or you single mean a-
1: transaction? Okay, single right. transaction. So right. some of those really large uh, trading partner deals, mm. you know, are not going to be necessarily on RTP, or sure. um, you know. But research consistently shows that consumers and small businesses do want faster payments. The Fed said that its research has found nearly three quarters of micro businesses and 60% or more of larger businesses believe real-time payments will help them better manage cash and working capital. Hmm. Now, based on RTP's experience, the most popular applications are account-to-account payments, instant payroll and earned wage access, where you get a portion of your wages Mm -hmm. before payday, and gig economy payouts. The Fed and others are also betting a lot of bill payments. Both consumer and B2B are gonna migrate to Fed now as it allows for better management of cash flow. In fact, uh, study findings out of the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston suggested lower income households could save billions of dollars a year in overdraft fees if they received money like their paychecks instantly and didn't have to wait around for good funds before they paid their bills.
0: Yeah. Huh.
1: Yeah, I found so, that very
0: interesting. So help me understand something. And you may not know the answer to this, but I, I you know, I admit- admittedly... I'll give it a shot. I
1: might I might just fake it. <laughs> yeah, I just haven't
0: done a ton of research on this yet. So um, when we're talking about the FedNow, where does this fit in the ecosystem in terms of, are we saying that FedNow is going to have a, an API that like the processors are going to be able to utilize in order to pay residuals instantly? And is it that kind of a thing? Is it-
1: Only if- it... Yeah, it 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 you gotta remember that only banks are gonna be connected to Fed now.
0: So this is something that would go through the sponsor bank.
1: You go through your sponsor bank.
0: I see. So you could
1: conceivably have payouts on a on a you know same day basis, for example. Sure. Um and it could also, I would imagine, it would also um be used for residual payment. It could be used for residual
0: that's what I was thinking, residual bonuses. And then then of course in our industry that. I mean, isn't this going to completely eliminate the whole like 1% um, you know, instant payout thing that like Square and others are doing? Because like there's no reason for that anymore. Like they should right. be able to do it through Fed now. They may still charge it, but they should sure. be able to do it through Fed now, virtually at very, very minimal cost. I would imagine, yes. right? Is there are there certain oh, yeah. fees associated, or I mean, this is like a?
1: Oh, there's going to be fees, but they're going to they're not. They're, trivial, it's like imagine. a penny, five cents, something like that. Yeah, something I mean,
0: very, very small.
1: Very trivial the fees. They put the fees out not long ago, and I what I remember is they were almost identical to RTP. Yeah. And I remember RTP is like a nickel maybe per transaction.
0: And then I have to wonder as well. The other thing I really have to wonder is, is this going to really upend the card brands and their effort at B2B? You
1: know what I mean? Aren't there oh, going to be I, com- I think it could. I think it could upend that. I think it could also upend the ACH. I well, mean, the ACH is used for a lot of those types of transactions uh, that absolutely. we're talking about. And what I'm and, saying is
0: now now it's kind of like, hey, send us the payment instantly through. You know, Fed now. So so he's a Fed, yeah. I mean, that that kind of if I'm a business, because again, the rat a lot of the rationale for for uh, B2B card acceptance is this idea that you want to get your money faster and we're going to be, so obviously there are other things, you know, there's a lot of other benefits to it. I won't get into all that here, but, right. um, when you get Roger McNamara back on to talk about all that, we
1: should get Roger back we should, on that, you know, yeah. but,
0: uh, but I think it is interesting. I mean, it's an interesting player in that market, I guess I would say.
1: I think so too. And I think, you know, where you're going to see it less, a lot of people are like, Oh, this is going to be great for consumer POS. I'm not so convinced it's going to be in the POS that fast. Um, yeah, I think right. we interviewed, didn't we interview uh, the folks from Sionic?
0: Um, yeah, at some point, recently. A
1: couple months back, several months back. They right. have a an agreement with a technology company called SpacePoint, right. where they're going to do a pay-by-bank service, where payments yeah. can get instantly transferred to yeah. uh, bank accounts, the merchant accounts from the consumer account. Mm. But it does, and they do a lot of work in developing markets uh, supporting yeah. uh, voice and data i'm not i just don't see it for yeah. the average retailer at least not at this point not not yet
0: but i mean i think there'll be i think the real question is going to be who are going to be the big technology innovators that build on top of this
1: and and i think you, know. you can take i think you can pretty well safely guess that um fiveserve will be one of
0: them yes of course yep because
1: fives already has a direct connection so,
0: absolutely yeah you know, interesting stuff hmm. yeah. yeah well definitely keep us in the loop on this one i'll be i'll be curious to see how it goes
1: Farewell, thanks